Welcome everyone to episode 177 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined today by Mark Baker as we reflect on Liverpool's goalless draw with Manchester United. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool were widely expected to beat Man United comfortably on Sunday, but unfortunately they were held to a draw. They actually won every single home game this season coming into this one but for the first time they failed to pick up three points at Anfield and it means that they relinquish first place in the Premier League table Arsenal's victory against Brighton earlier on Sunday means they now have a one point advantage over the Reds in the table and Liverpool also level now with Aston Villa who came back from a goal down to beat Brentford but ahead of them on goal difference Manchester City four points back obviously having drop those points against Crystal Palace. So um at this point in day, given you know the extent of Liverpool's favouritism um coming into this match, but we will begin with a three red match review, Mark. So if you just start with that and then I suppose just talk me through what you saw from your perspective what was wrong with Liverpool's performance today. Okay, so um the three ways I just say a poor performance, I'd say. Um Liverpool Obviously, coming into the fixture with a massive incentive to, to gain the victory, especially after Manchester City dropping points. They've seen the two the two closest rivals in relation to the table, Aston Villa and Arsenal win. And they were facing a Manchester United team who have been really poor. There's no there's no getting away from that this season as a in general. And also, I mean, if you look at the amount of injuries that Manchester United had coming into the game and obviously Bruno Fernandes being suspended as well. You know, it was a real opportunity for Liverpool and I felt with the way that Liverpool had played at home this season and, and really in all the Klopp's tenure really, you normally expect the home games to go the way of Liverpool and I mentioned in the podcast we did a few weeks ago that I think the biggest problem for me with Liverpool being able to acquire the title would be their away form. I think they've been nowhere near good enough over a large majority of, of time now if, if over the last season and a half. But at home, Liverpool's performances, they normally extract the maximum points from the game and you'd have to feel that going into the game, how heavily depleted Manchester United were, how under strength in terms of numbers as well, specific positions on the pitch which were important to them. And also, not just that, the way they'd been playing, the lack of confidence that they had. You expected that, even though you didn't expect that Liverpool would win comfortably. I mean, obviously, Liverpool came 7-0 in the last fixture between the two at Anfield. You never expected that. You did believe that Liverpool would have enough to be able to, to get the three points and put themselves into a real advantageous position in the league table. And the fact that they didn't do that, yeah, has to be seen as a, a huge disappointment. And I think... For me, there's two different aspects to the game when we talk about how Liverpool have played in the game. I mean, I felt without without the ball, Liverpool were really good. I felt that they restricted Manchester United to virtually not. And that Liverpool had a 10-minute spell where I felt they lost control in the second half. I think it was just when they made changes, changed the shape slightly, all that kind of thing. And Manchester United did come into the game and there was a worrying couple of moments for them. But apart from that, in terms of without the ball, it was probably the perfect sort of positional performance from Liverpool, not allowing Manchester United to be able to play out, not allowing them to get into the final thirds or, you know, create many opportunities. But then when Liverpool were in possession, 
and their use of the ball in the final third was nowhere near good enough, which meant that even though Liverpool generated a lot of shots, I think, I don't know what it was, they were 34 shots, something like that. You know, you're looking at sort of like two and a half XG over the course of the 90 minutes. That was more of an accumulation based on the amount of shots they actually took. When you actually look back and you think of some of the chances and whether they were clear cut and that kind of thing, I felt that that'll be the biggest disappointment for Liverpool in the fact that although they created numerically a lot of chances, I didn't think they created good enough chances to be able to to, to obtain the result, really. Um, and yeah, so a, dis- a really, really disappointing result. And in terms of with the ball, a really disappointing final third performance. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. I mean, you mentioned there about how depleted Man United were. Let's just take a look through their 11s. Obviously, Onana and goal, first choice goalkeeper. Shaw, first choice left back. Um, then the rest of the back four, I mean, Varane, um, does he played he played well in this game, but hasn't been first choice under Ten Hag. I don't think he, he would have played if um, Maguire and Lindelof were available. Obviously, Johnny Evans next to him um, kind of played so much more than anybody expected in the summer, given United's injuries. Dallow got sent off late in this game. Um, probably Wan-Bissaka starts over him if he if he's fit. And then, you know, midfield, you got Amrabat, Maynou and McTominay. I mean... Again, is that Casemiro, Fernandez, Mount, something like that? I mean, you could make the case that with everybody available, none of them play. And then obviously Rashford's on the bench. He's been ill before the game. Um, I suppose Garnacho, Hoyland, Anthony isn't too far off um, what it would have been otherwise. But what's still, you're looking at a heavily depleted Man United side and Man United side. Very short on confidence as well as form. I mean, the defeat to Bournemouth, finishing bottom of the Champions League group and then to um to fail to beat them is is obviously disappointing in both the sense of the rivalry between the two teams and also you know for the team that wants to win the title given those dynamics coming into the fixture it really is a it, it's a slip up um for my three words I've gone with exactly as feared just kind of linking back to what I said on the pre-match podcast where you sort of knew that Liverpool showed their quality in this game that they they win comfortably but. They just didn't really do that at all in the entire match, to be honest. Um, and that was the story of it. It was a game that became so scruffy that it was bound to suit Man United. And it, it was what you worried about that if it was played, if it was dragged down to the level United wanted it to be at, then that's the kind of scenario where you do drop points. And, and that is unfortunately what happened. And now, obviously, all the narratives will be about complacency and things like that. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But um, yeah, a very. Um, very disappointing results. Um, in terms of what I thought was was wrong with it, I mean, I think you you spot on, Mark. Within like the, the point you make about um, when Liverpool were out of possession, they generally did quite well. I mean, they they sustained their dominance quite well in the match. I think aside from that period that you mentioned, um, just under seventy percent possession. But I suppose when they had it, they were just they were so sloppy. Um, is it sloppiest performance all season? Probably summed up by. Um, so Basley and Salah, um, especially in the first half. Um, I mean, I think Neville said in commentary that it looked like they had the boots on the wrong feet and it didn't look too far off the amount of sort of basic passes they weren't pulling off. And that kind of became sometimes when you have that with a few players, it becomes a little bit contagious throughout the whole team. And it was really, really sort of frustrating to watch. Um having said that, as much as Liverpool struggled to kind of pick out that final ball, show that bit of class in the final third. They did have 
I'd say two very good chances to win this game. Um, sort of a header from Canate in the first half, um, which he should do better with, free header. There's also one at the end where he's he's inches away from getting his head on what was a brilliant ball from Costas Simakas, um, which is a bit agonising. And then there's the header for Gakpo as well, which is the only big chance that Liverpool had in the game of all those 34 shots, which I think Gakpo in failing to get that on target, makes it look like sort of a poorer chance than it was. That was a huge opportunity for Liverpool uh, to win the game. And then, you know, like you said, Mark, I mean, the XG looks good, the shot count looks good, but 15 of those are from outside the box. Um, And the decision-making in terms of rushing into those long-range opportunities was another issue for Liverpool today. Um, And then the last thing I would say is, Klopp, you know, you mentioned that spell there, Mark, where United had a couple of chances. Uh, we saw Allison make a very good save for, from Hoyland um, in that period. And how Liverpool were sort of a little, kind of figuring out their shape a little bit. Although Klopp's sort of tactical reshuffles were a bit odd today. You know, when we saw Gomez come on for Sobberslide, we thought that it was going to be um, Trent in the right side of eight role and Endo as the six. But instead, I couldn't fully work out what the system was, but essentially Trent was kind of sitting in the middle and Endo was sort of next to him and it just didn't look like the best use of the personnel that he had. And then later in the game, he moves away from the four attackers, um, puts Jones and Elliott on, but then Jones is, is left wing and obviously two attackers off the two midfielders and that felt a little bit odd as well. So I don't know if, he, I mean, to be fair to Klopp, he's... You know, so many games this season have been changed by subs, not least the one last week against Palace. But this one, it kind of felt like he didn't make the best use of the personnel that he had available to him, unfortunately. Um, so I don't think he's sort of blameless in it um, either. But the thing I wanted to ask you next, Mark, was, I mean, we've run through all the issues there, I'd say, with the Liverpool performance on the day. What problems did you see in this game that you think speak to wider issues with this Liverpool team and their hopes of winning the Premier League this season? Yeah, I think one of the one of the things for me, Dave, I mentioned about the away performances and the fact that Liverpool very often um, speed the game up too quickly or they're not assured enough within their possession, which allows then the opposition, because Liverpool play quite vertically, it allows the opposition to... Uh, regain the ball and often it can hurt Liverpool on the counter-attack. Now that wasn't the case today because Liverpool's distances were really good out of possession which meant that and by the way that also there has to be a factor thrown in there that Manchester United were really poor with the ball as well but you have to balance it off against the fact that Liverpool to some extent made them look very poor with the ball so so there is that but I didn't think that that was the case that Liverpool could get countered on today. I felt Liverpool were totally in, in, in dominating control of that but against um, Crystal Palace and Fulham, for example, again, we've seen that creep into the game where Liverpool, unfortunately, lost the ball in really good areas. So they were gaining really good territory, really good field turns, you know, backing the opposition into the into their own half. But then the decision-making within that, and I think he's a fantastic player sometimes. Like I'm one of his biggest fans, but Trent Alexander-Arnold epitomises it for me. So I believe he's a brilliant footballer, has a really good season. But I do think at times he speeds the game up far too quickly in the way that he plays. And sometimes, because of that, 
a lot of promising. I mean, don't get me wrong; he's the the highest value member of Liverpool's team in terms of chance creation. So you'd have to, you know, cut him some slack in terms of that. He's a high risk player. But I think there's too much of that in Liverpool's game at this moment in time, where they get into the final third, and then players trying to speed it up too quickly. I think it's it's much more important for Liverpool if they have got that kind of territory, that kind of dominance over the opposition, and the set up to avoid counter attacks. Keep circulating the ball, keep playing the extra pass, keep probing, moving teams from right to left. Because eventually, what will happen is someone will switch off. You'll have worn the legs down. Where I just feel too often. Liverpool, they're not cohesive in the final third, which then allows moves to break down too often. And I felt that was the case against Manchester United today. And I suppose that lends itself to a conversation, I suppose, about the top end of the pitch, because, I mean, with Liverpool, I've always been highly um, of the opinion that Liverpool have got really good players in that final third who can create opportunities. And, you know, if you go into sort of the majority of games and Liverpool have enough shots at goal and Liverpool will, will score enough goals because of the personnel they have. But at this moment in time, Liverpool's forward line isn't functioning how it should do. Players aren't taking enough opportunities. They're not making the correct decisions in the final third. I mean, against Fulham, for example, um, they scored fan- some fantastic goals, but I think the goals almost outweighed the actual chances they had within the game, if that made sense. So, and because a lot of moves are stopping at source, they're then not being able to extract them big chances or them clear-cut opportunities. And that decision-making, that final pass, it, it's lacking throughout the front line at the moment. Um, I mean, as you know, I'm a big fan of Darwin Nunes. I think he's going to be a really, really top player for Liverpool. And if you look around sort of European competition and you're trying to find... You know, uh, ideal number nines in the game, the few and far between. You only have to look at Manchester United today to see Rasmus Hoyland. I mean, he looks absolutely miles off it. I know, I know. for example, he's getting limited kind of supply line at Manchester United. They get that. But Nunes is involved in all aspects of the game, whether it be, you know, um, chances falling to him or him creating chances for others. So I don't worry about that kind of thing. But there's definitely been a dip in his overall performance over the last few weeks, which has meant that he's gone from, you know, being in a position where you thought he's really going to kick on now to a position where he's probably dropped off that level and now people are starting to have doubts about him. I don't because the numbers tell me that, you know, he's got huge potential and a huge ceiling for Liverpool. So I think, you know, he, he will um, he will improve on that performance. But then you look around the other aspects of the forward line. I don't think Salah's playing great at, the mo- at this moment in time in general play. I know he's still, you know, picking up numbers and stuff like that, which he always will do. But I think his general game, some of his final decision-making hasn't been great. I don't know where Gakpo's playing at this moment in time. I don't know. He seems to be getting brought on uh, on the right-hand side. I mean, you mentioned before about what shape Liverpool went to. For me, it was a 4-4-2 with Gakpo playing on that right-hand side. Now, we all know that Gakpo is probably his best position is off the left-hand side. So, And then at times he's filtering in as a substitute to midfield. At times he's playing as the nine. I really don't know where he fits at this moment in time. I thought he, uh, when I seen Diogo Jota was injured, I felt that he might come in as that sort of left-sided player with, with Luis Diaz and sort of we might see them two fluctuate. Um, but that hasn't really happened. So I don't know what his role is at this current moment in time. And I don't actually think it's helping him either because I don't I, I don't believe he, you know, he can't have no continuity in the, in the role that he's trying to play. And then you'd have Luis Diaz on the left who, I think the thing is about Luis Diaz, he's taking a little bit of criticism at the moment and he's never going to be Sadio Mane in the terms of being able to 
you know, one of them wide players who's going to make runs throughout to in and threaten space in between centre half and you know a full back, and not nowhere near to the extent of Manny, who was more an inside forward. But what Luis Diaz for me's game was was a touchline winger, getting the ball to feet, picking it up, driving with the ball, and creating opportunities or separation from the full back by by travelling. And again, at this moment in time, he's struggling a little with that. But I think more worrying is I can't remember him seeing him in a position where very often he's one on one with the fullback. So Liverpool actually aren't giving him them opportunities. If you think about how Liverpool play and the fact Alexander Arnold comes in field and that opens that channel for Salah to be able to dribble, very often you find him in them kinds of areas where he's he's facing up a fullback. Liverpool don't really do that down the left hand side. So although I can see where the criticism is coming from Diaz, I think a strategic problem in terms of how Liverpool are playing is meaning that he doesn't often get them opportunities to isolate 1v1 as well. So I just think there's problems in the forward line in terms of you know, decision-making, in terms of taking chances. And like I mentioned before, for me, just that speeding up of the game too early for Liverpool in that sort of mid to, to highest areas of the pitch. Yeah, I want to definitely revisit that point about um, the attack in a second. Um the first thing I want to say is there was an interesting point, I thought, from um, Josh Williams on Twitter today who said that essentially Liverpool, um, again, are looking like they're over-reliant on basically counter-attacks or transitions, whatever you whatever you want to call it, to generate chances. Um, and it felt like that in this game. Like I felt like when Liverpool looked like they were going to open United up was when they had real space to run into. But the moments where they were attacking at United and that was set, they were rushing things a bit. Um, and it just they just didn't. I mean, they were saying in commentary that they look like they were out of ideas, and, and they did to a degree, to be honest. And that is, I think, something that has been a, a bit of a recurring theme at times, um, which is something to keep an eye on, given obviously how often Liverpool are going to be encountering sort of deep defences and things like that. Um, in terms of the attackers' points, it had something that I had noted down as well. And I think we spoke a lot about Nunez recently. I think obviously Gakpo that you mentioned as well. Um, I thought really struggled when he came on today and um, isn't looking in the best shape at the moment. I don't think you know he, he he's had a, f- a few decent moments this season, but he's not kicked on in in the manner that I thought. And granted, you know he hasn't been able to necessarily get into a rhythm. The one I want to revisit again, Mark. I mean, you mentioned him there is Diaz. I mean. So he had a really good first half in this game. I thought he was impactful, out of possession. I thought when he had the ball, he looked sort of re-energised. And there was one point where he goes on this drive and run and Amrabat had to bring him down um, because of how powerful it is and fast his running was. And he looked really sharp. But then in the second half, he really faded. And I think you mentioned about not being in 1v1 situations. There's a point where Liverpool worker to him in one of those transitional attacks. Um, and he goes to take on Dallow, but Dallow literally just sticks his leg out and deals with it easily. In terms of what you're seeing from Diaz at the moment, I mean, is it a concern for you long term? Do you think do you think he's in bad form? Because it, it just doesn't feel like we're witnessing the same sort of spectacular player that we saw probably most of all in those sort of first six months when, when he joined from Porto. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean by that, Dave, because I remember being on quite a few podcasts and I actually said he, this guy's got the ceiling to be one of the best players in the league. Yeah, I think he was that. I, I don't think we should forget how good he was. He was absolutely electric in them opening months and basically to the point where 
I mean, Diogo Jota had a great season that season and he was completely marginalised that second half of the season because of how well Lewis Diaz had played. And it seemed to me he energised Liverpool's back end of that season. He was the go-to player. He was the player who you wanted to go to, the ball to go to because, you know, it's, tra- it's travelling with the ball, is creating separation from the defender and the full-back. He was just a box of tricks in terms of what he was offering. Now, he was never, even at that point, going to offer you the numbers of money. I think that was quite clear. But he has other aspects to his game. You know, one thing, and he's still got this as well. And I, I, by the way, I still think he's a he's a really, really good player, Lewis Diaz. There's no question about that. He's magnificent in terms of you can play it up to him at different angles, different heights. He can relieve pressure for you, you know, contort his body, bring the ball down. And then, especially away from home, can be a massive tool in terms of that. But I do just believe at this moment in time, his production levels and his actual that electricity that we've seen early on in his sort of Liverpool spell. And don't forget, I suppose we'll come on to this as well, but he's had a bad injury as well. I don't think there can be, be any doubt about that. Obviously, he's had a severe knee injury. But people are sort of talking about the fact that, you know, he, he hasn't got that sort of athleticism anymore. I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't believe that he was how can we put this like the uh, speed merchants in terms of massive acceleration? I just think he was a powerful, strong runner who was brilliant technically in terms of, you know, dropping his shoulder, weaving inside, weaving outside. And I, f- I do believe he's, he's suffering from a little bit of a lack of confidence in that sense. He, he doesn't seem to have that sort of same belief in himself. And also, I think you'd also have to factor in the league now know him as well. So when he came at that stage, there was probably a little bit of, you know, defenders weren't quite sure of about his profile, about you know his characteristics, his traits, which obviously also always helps you coming into the league. So I think there is a, a definite little bit of a lack of confidence in his performances. But like I say, I also believe there's a little bit of a structural problem in Liverpool because essentially, of all the Liverpool players, I don't think Liverpool have an elite dribbler, say, but he is the one player you'd want in them sorts of isolation situations. And I know... Obviously, you know, he hasn't been as successful as, as previously. I think his, I was actually looking at his dribbling numbers, uh, which I don't know if you've seen, Dave, but massively deteriorated as well since that, that first time when he came into Liverpool by something along the lines of 20% in terms of successful dribbles, which, which is concerning. But also, I believe in them kind of situations. When I picture Diaz, Luis Diaz, and them, that sort of early period for Liverpool, I always picture him being one-on-one with the fullback. And sort of dropping his shoulder and driving to the left-hand side. Um, whereas now, I very rarely see him in them kinds of areas. And I don't know whether it's a consequence of the system in terms of, like I say, that right-hand side. I can picture Salah straight away how many opportunities he gets on that right-hand side to be able to travel with the ball. Mostly unsuccessfully, by the way, because that's not his elite trait. But I do believe Liverpool don't get that enough for Luis Diaz. So a bit of, I'm 50-50 on both. I still believe, though, he is a really good footballer. The question, I suppose, will be asked at the end of the season when we look at his numbers because, you know, ultimately, this isn't like a left-sided player with a left foot who's probably rarer to acquire. There's other players who are potentially in the market who could play that left-hand side who are going to be available in Europe. And I suppose you'd have to judge him at the end of the season to see sort of what level he's been at over the course of the season, especially after the injury, because you want to sort of gauge that, don't you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people obviously have made the connection between that injury and the, the poorer dribbling, like you mentioned. I think the interesting thing is when he actually first came back last year, <clears throat> last year from the injury, his numbers um, were really good in terms of the volume and, and the success rate. It's gone down this season. Um, and obviously, you sort of wonder why that is. 
Um, I mean, you mentioned the system there. Maybe there's an argument that kind of the way the dynamic has changed a little bit. He maybe doesn't have the amount of overlaps or underlapping runs that he previously had, which kind of helped him get in those isolated scenarios. I don't know, but watching him at the moment, um, you know, he's not as enjoyable to watch, I don't think. And also, I just don't think he's offering Liverpool enough because, you know, the goals, he's not scored in a long time. Um, he's not creating too many chances and he's not necessarily opening things up at the 1v1 threat, then I think if Diogo Jota was fit, he wouldn't be in the team at the moment. Um, so, you know, I think I'd say I'm, I'm a bit, it's reached a stage where I'm a bit worried. I think I'm not necessarily sort of obviously writing him off or anything like that by any means, but I do think he needs to really show an improvement and, and that applies to the whole attack because we've got, what is it now? Is it two, three more games um, before Mohamed Salah goes to AFCON? And then basically these attacking players who have all been struggling aside from him are kind of on their own a little bit. Um, and it kind of remains to be seen who's going to pick up the slack in that regard. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Mark, in terms of wider concerns with this team, we saw Liverpool really kind of, obviously had to mount that comeback against Fulham, um, same against Palace, um, where they looked like they were potentially on course to lose and there was a red card and they obviously turned it around late on. But, does it feel a little bit like a setback has been coming for this team? Do you think they've been riding the luck a little bit too much in terms of not playing that well, but getting the three points? And today was one of them where that that luck kind of ran out and you can't always play so subpar and expect to come away with a win. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. I mean, I, th- I thought they were terrible at Palace, I'll be honest. I thought it was a, ter- a terrible performance up until the periods when Palace goes down to, to 10 men. Um, and letting Liverpool kick on. And to be honest, normally I'm critical sometimes of Liverpool in terms of how they, you know, um, when they're chasing a game or when they're trying to win a game, like I mentioned before, that sometimes they don't show the required patience. I suppose at Palace, therefore, I've got to go the other way and say, well, Liverpool did really well in that stage when they went down to 10 to be able to obtain the results. But yeah, in general, I mentioned before, I felt that the thing that stopped Liverpool would be the away performances, the lack of control in them away performances leading to basically Liverpool not acquiring enough points from them games. I think the worrying aspect has been sort of in, it's now sort of crept into the home games as well, because I felt Liverpool were really fortunate against Fulham to be able to to come away with the points, whereas normally in the home games, you see Liverpool dominate territory and, you know, um, ultimately wear down the opposition to, to be able to gain, gain the results. Whereas I felt they were fortunate against Fulham. And today, for example, I mean, as good as, you know, as dominant as they were in terms of the game overall, they could have actually lost the game as well. Um, I mean, you mentioned before about Alisson, top goalkeeper again. Even the one at the end, I haven't seen it replayed back, but I'm sure it was a, another good save from Alisson where it was sort of flashed across the face of the goal. I'm not I'm not so sure. So, so yeah, so for me, I just think Liverpool aren't playing well enough to convince me that they can end up top of the Premier League. Like, I look at the difference between Liverpool and Arsenal, for example, and there's a massive difference for me in the way that Arsenal are able to control games and also limit the opposition in terms of the amount of chances they're able to have on goal as well. So if you're asking me about that, as though, although there's only one point behind the two teams in the league table, it's obviously a big, massive game next week. I just think over the course of the season, Arsenal are, dis- are displaying the kind of controlling, controlling performances, both women world the ball that Liverpool aren't. And I think ultimately, unless Liverpool can change that, if they continue to play the way they are, 
they're not going to be able to get the the required amount of points to be to be at the top end, really. Yeah, and um, I think it, I, I found myself getting a little bit sort of sucked in um, a bit with the the title talk recently because I've kind of become more and more optimistic as the season's gone on, but. There's just certain days where you stop and think to yourself, is that a bit of a reality check? And it's it's really strange because this team, nobody expects them to be in the race. I don't know if they fully expected to be in the race. Like they look like quite flawed, but then you can't necessarily argue too much with the form that they've shown stretching all the way back to April, where they've only lost one Premier League game in that period. And they've been putting up a points per game that will get them high 80s. In terms of the points tally, like it's clear that there's issues with this side, but then you know, for the most part, they have been delivering the results. It's just you know, can you obviously sustain that over the course of the season? It is the concern, but yeah, it just feels a bit like they've been sort of thrust a little bit into the title race. You know, Man City obviously struggling more than anybody thought up to this point in the campaign. Um, and what I would like to see now is you know, recognition of the fact that there's an opportunity before this team and you know, making the right purchase in January now because I think Arsenal, obviously Liverpool's a bonus next weekend, fully expect them to sign someone in January. They've been quite aggressive in the market. Certainly wouldn't be a surprise if City did that. And even if they don't, they've obviously got arguably the best player in the league coming back from injury as well, um, which is potentially something that's going to alter the dynamics of the race. So I think Liverpool, you know, obviously some of the issues that they have, like we've mentioned, are to do with, you know, tactics and, and coaching and, and individual form and things like that. But also, I think, you know, they could do with maybe a reinforcement or two. And you'd like to think that, you know, there'd be money available to kind of take advantage of the position that Liverpool are in this year, which I think at the start of the season, it was probably this feeling that, you know, let's just get top four. But now it's a little bit like, hang on. Whatever happens from this point, Liverpool are going to be there or thereabouts, you know, heading into the new year. So there's there's a sort of an opportunity to to make the most of there, really. And yeah, I think so, definitely, Dave. I mean, I'm exactly the same as you. But I think the the issue with Liverpool at the moment is, and this is why we're probably thinking the same, is Liverpool have got themselves into a situation where they've played the majority of hard away games now. I know you can, you know, inverted commas, hard away games, but they've got three of the away games against the bigger teams left. And if you think about Liverpool normally sort of obtain points at Anfield, that sort of makes you think that that's a great opportunity for Liverpool. It really is a massive opportunity. And that's why today felt like such a backward step because it, the Manchester United in name. But if you're a team who are going to be aspiring to win the title, you beat a team like that at home. I mean, they were the depleted side, the team lacking in confidence with little or no attacking threat. And you still couldn't get the win. And what that does is that negates or um, takes away some of the better performances you've had or some of the, the the results you've obtained where potentially you weren't at your best. Because let's say Liverpool won at Palace. They got a great three points there that they probably shouldn't have got. But then that's just equaled out by the fact that they haven't then beat Manchester United at home or looting away. And ultimately, you keep doing that. It's, it's not going to end in the way you want it to. Yeah, I think you make a great point there um, in terms of like the... Sort of, I guess it's a missed opportunity and, you know, you, you earn sort of that bit of luck and then maybe you squander it um, a couple of weeks later. Like, it, it is unfortunate. But, you know, just to end on a positive note, obviously, I think um, there were a few sort of players who, who who played quite well today. Obviously, a lot of them were off it, but I thought, obviously, Alison, we talked about with that save, 
thought the two centre backs were brilliant. Um, aside from Canate, maybe missing one or two chances. Van Dijk obviously with some important moments. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks as well, we'll see McAllister and Jota return from injury. I think it's probably been overlooked a little bit that Liverpool haven't have been sort of two or three players short of of their of their best team recently. We obviously Robertson's been out as well. Hopefully not too long before he's kind of factoring in some sort of training as well. So, you know, it's not necessarily the best version of Liverpool that we're seeing at the moment. And it should get better over the course of season two as as this sort of newer team gels. And and the last thing obviously would be that, you know, you still got to sort of take stock of the position this team are in in the league at the moment, only one point off top and it will, you know, it'll be all to play for, um, definitely. And the title race will, by the looks of it, ebb and flow. And, you know, for Liverpool to fail to beat United, but still maintain that gap over Man City is a positive in a way, as much as other people would look at it and say, obviously, that it was a chance to put six points between the two teams. But, yeah, anyway, the one that it all leads up to now is that game just before Christmas against Arsenal next weekend. Before then, Liverpool have got a Carabao Cup quarterfinal to negotiate against West Ham, chance to obviously reach the last four there. So we'll be back after that one with our next episode. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a five-star review. Follow the podcast, press the notification button, and we've got our email and our Twitter usernames in the episode description as well. So you can click on those, give us a follow, drop us a message um, on there. So yeah, thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Mark for joining me, and we'll be back in midweek.